Well, good morning, church. Man, we are so glad that you were here. If you're brand new, my name is Doug, and I'm East Campus Pastor, and I'm delighted that you showed up this morning. Today, we're going to continue in our series, Christmas Rerun. And I mentioned it kind of last week as we began the series, and, and if you didn't, miss, you didn't catch last week, I want to kind of bring up the speed is that for many of us, especially those of us that remember the old shows like Happy Days and Andy Griffith Show, how many remember those things? How many remember those? Okay. There's a generation that has no idea what I'm talking about. Okay, so many of us like to go back and watch those shows. We watch the reruns, and the idea of a rerun is just you become more familiar with the story. The more you go back and watch Andy Griffith, the more familiar you become with Opie and all the things that he's going to do and say and the way he behaves. And so it's all about familiarity. And I said this last week, there's a phrase that came out in the 1300s that kind of has been bothering me somewhat. It's a phrase that we kind of built this series around, and it's this phrase, that familiarity breeds what? Contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt, and the idea of the saying is, you can be so familiar with something, or so familiar with someone, that you lose your respect, and awe, and reverence of that someone or that something. And I thought, is it possible that we have played the rerun of the Christmas story so much in all of our lives. In fact, if you're kind of even new to church, you probably are at least familiar with the Christmas story. I mean, maybe you come to church and you've experienced that. And we've got the rerun of the Christmas story so prevalent in our lives, and we all know it so well. Is it possible that we've become so familiar that the Christmas story has lost its awe, wonder, and reverence in our lives? And so the whole goal of this series is that we might rediscover that all that we might rediscover that reverence and that wonder and that, that, that amazing, wonderful story we know as the Christmas story. Now, I promise you, we're not angling this as, hey, well, let's find a nuance that nobody knows about. Let's find what the donkey must have thought as it carried uh, uh, Mary into Bethlehem, which we don't even know it was a donkey. I hate to break your, bu- burst your bubble. We don't even know if it was a donkey, right? So we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the same story we know over and over and over again. But hopefully we unpack it in a way that you go, you know what? I kind of rediscover my awe and wonder of this time of year. You know, this time of year in many churches, they celebrate Advent, right? We did it last year. And Christmas, for many of us, our idea of Advent is Christmas is all about wanting. But the story of Advent is all about waiting, right? And so what I want us to do today and even next week, I want us to catch a glimpse of the wonder and awe of the Christmas story. So we began the journey by looking at the story of Mary. And what we saw in Mary was a a girl who was a Jewish girl between 12 and 13 years of age. This girl that lived a familiar Jewish girl's life. I mean, her life was a rerun of every other Jewish girl between the ages of 12 and 13. Every other Jewish girl lived the same kind of life. They were betrothed somewhere in that time frame. They got married and they lived happily ever after, so to speak, right? And so she's living the same life of every other Jewish girl, yet God interrupts her story. In the middle of familiarity, God interrupts her story. He says, hey, Mary, oh, by the way, you're going to give birth to a son. And she knows the story. She's a virgin. She's like, okay, I'm not sure. He's like, oh, and by the way, it's not just going to be any boy. This is going to be the son of God. The Son of the Most High God. And so here's Mary living this familiar story, and God interrupts her story. And even if you remember last week, even though Mary didn't understand how it was going to happen, even though Mary didn't understand, you know, why God would choose her and give her this grace and give her this blessing, do you remember how Mary responded in the end? I am a servant of the Lord. 
In other words, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I'm in. And that was Mary's story. And hopefully as you looked at Mary's story, there was a moment of awe and reverence of the beauty of what God was asking Mary to do. And so today I want to continue that, and I want to look at the story that once again is very familiar. I want to look at the story of the Magi. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 2 is where I'm going to be. Matthew chapter 2. I hear no pages turning. Matthew chapter 2. If not, just kind of flip them. Let me hear them, all right? Just let me hear them, all right? Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. It says this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, and the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east, they came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And he assembled all the chief priests and all the scribes of the people, and he inquired to them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it was written by a prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, and by no means least among the rulers of Judah, from from you shall come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men, and he secretly, and, and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, go and search diligently for this child, and when you find him, bring word to me that I too may come and what? lies, right? And after listening to the king, he went, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them, and it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the great star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down, and what did they do? And they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed their way to their own country by another way. Let's pray. God, we love you. I thank you for the story. And God, I pray that you would help us unpack this in such a way that it might create wonder and awe of the greatest miracle ever today. Be with us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as we look at the story, I just want to do something real simple today. I want to ask three questions. Three questions that I feel like give us a better understanding, a better context of this story that maybe God could use to help create a sense of awe and reverence and wonder in our hearts. And here's the first question. Who were the Magi? Who were these men? Let's go back to verse 1. Look what it says here in verse 1 about who the Magi were. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, both wise men came from where? The east. And they came to Jerusalem, right? And so who were these Wise men, well, let me tell you a couple of things. Now, you need to know as we think about who they were, some of the stuff I'm going to talk about is not necessarily just biblical, it's, it's historical as well, too. So who were these wise men? Well, I hate to burst your bubble, because so much of the Christmas story, we've just, like, we've just made stuff up, right? And we've, we've done it, and it's just bad. Like, for example, and I probably say this every year, and David said, don't say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like, for years, Sonia has the Willow Nativity set. It's a beautiful nativity set. It's just gorgeous. And for years, I refused to buy the wise men for this nativity set. And she's like, why won't you buy the wise men? Because they weren't there. They weren't at the manger. And some of you are like, like, whoa, that's way too much. No, they weren't at the manger, so why would I buy them? Let's put them in the kitchen, let them walk for like this is 12 months. And then eventually, we'll put them there. We'll build a house, and that's where Jesus will be, right? Let me tell you something about these wise men. They were not kings. Contrary to the Christmas carol you sing, we three kings, they weren't kings. 
They were wise men. They were studied. They were educated. In fact, their primary job was to identify the new kings that had been born. In fact, historians have said they were known as king makers. Another thing we know from history about these magi was this. They came from a tribe. Can you guess what the tribe of the magi was called? Magi. That was real creative, wasn't it? It was the tribe of magi. And this tribe of magi, this group of people that all fit in this category of magi, they literally would study every religion that they could get their hands on. They were kind of what you would call modern-day universalists. They believed kind of all this stuff kind of all worked together. But the primary thing they believed was in astronomy. They studied the sky. They studied the stars. They studied the universe. That's who they were. Now, we also know that not only they study these things, we know that the origin of the Magi at least dates all the way back to the Babylonian Empire and the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, God had this nation named Israel. We've talked about them. And there's a point when Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And they were both still God's people. But the northern kingdom decided, we're going to do life our way. And God said, fine. And he let the Assyrians come in and destroy them. And you would think the sister country, Judah, who's all still Israelites, would go, hmm, our brothers and sisters up north were destroyed. Maybe we should follow God, right? Because we know what happens when we don't. Well, guess what? They didn't follow God. And God said, fine, I'm going to let the Babylonians come in and not only destroy them, but take some of them captive and take them back to Babylon. So we know the Magi kind of originated at least in the age of the Babylonian Empire. We know that. And we also know that from Scripture. We also know that they must have made it through the next empire, which was the Persian Empire. And we obviously know they made it through the Roman Empire because we're talking about them during the Roman Empire times, right? So that's kind of, that's kind of a background of where they got their origin. Now, when you think about them, oftentimes we think the wise men traveled how? In what? Threes. I know you're thinking, Doug, has somebody else lied to me? They probably have, okay? They probably have. I know your nativity set, which you probably should put them in the kitchen like we do. I mean, there's probably three of them, right? There's three guys who look like kings. I know I'm wrecking this for you, but I'm just telling you, you need to know the truth today, okay? Can we be on that page? And so they, they, these guys were they, were, they did not travel in threes. In fact, if you were to study them historically, that they most often traveled in much more than that, much more than three. But what was really interesting is they would also travel with a small army of soldiers. Why? Because they are educated, studied, and wise. And you protect those people. So anywhere the wise men showed up, there was a lot of pomp and circumstance that went on. So when you think about who they were, I want you to kind of put that in your head. But here's something else I want you to put in your head when you think about who they were. I have a question as I think about who they were. How do they know about Jesus? Now, I know you're way ahead of me. Like, well, Doug, there's a star. Okay, I, I get that. But there's nowhere in the story that it says, and an angel appeared and said, hey, wise men, follow that star. Is there anything in the story that says that? So how would they know about King Jesus? Well, let's think about it for a minute. These guys dated back, as I said, all the way to the Babylonian Empire. And back in that day, unlike today, we don't have this, but whether you were a Babylonian or you were a Jewish person or you're an Egyptian, it didn't matter what you were, there was a strong oral tradition. They would pass down story from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. So oral tradition always flowed down to different people. And it says here in Scripture that they came from the east, which means they came from the area of Babylon. And they, like the Jewish people, would have had this oral tradition passed down to them. 
So these magi would have heard the stories of five and 600 years ago, how their people went and ransacked this nation known as Israel. They would have heard those stories. They would have heard the stories how these Israelites, also known as Jewish people, they're, this, they're synonymous, how they had gone into Babylon and how they began to intermarry. They would have heard those stories. Now, if you remember from the Old Testament, the reason God didn't want his people to intermarry, because when you intermarry, it's not just, it's not just like, you know, uh, an Israelite marries a Canaanite. When you marry and you marry, you're bringing two different belief systems together, right? You're bringing your two different religious traditions together. You're bringing two different religious scriptures together. And God told Israel not to intermarry. Why? Because he didn't want Israel intertwining their traditions, their beliefs, and their scripture with something that was false. But when they did intertwine, do you think it's possible that those magi heard the stories of Israelites' traditions, like Passover? Heard the stories of Israelites' faith that there is one guy and his name is Yahweh, do you think they brought with them the scripture that we call the Old Testament, at least what they had of it? Sure they did. And we also know that Daniel, in the Old Testament, he was chief over the Magi. He was boss over them. Do you think that they were aware of the vision that Daniel himself had of a coming child who was going to be the very son of God? Sure they would have. Doug, what's your point? Here it is. You ready? Who were the Magi? They were pagans. Right? There were wise men who were pagans who at very least were exposed to the Messiah that was going to come for all the world. Now listen with me. Follow with me for a moment. You're like, okay, I don't really see that. Well, you've got to study a lot of scripture to get there. But I'm telling you, it's there. You go back to the Old Testament, it's there. I mean, when you think about who were these wise men, we all need to understand these guys were pagans, who, but they were wise men, but the same token, they were at least exposed to the message that there was a Messiah that was coming. That's who they were. Now, the next question I want you to think about is this, is what did they do? Look with me in verse 2. It says this. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they were saying. Now, that word saying, words matter because I love words. That word saying means it's, it's idea of it's, it's, a, it's a present participle. And what that means is they continue to say. So basically, the wise men are walking through the streets of Jerusalem, and they're saying this over and over again, where is he who's been born <coughs> king of the Jews? For we saw this star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. So all the way through the city of Jerusalem, they're saying, where is this king that's been born? Now, if you're the king, Herod, and you don't have a newborn son, are you bothered by the question they're asking? Come on, are you bothered by that? And it says not only was the King Herod bothered by that, but all of Jerusalem was bothered. Everybody's up in arms. Everybody's going to go, Whoo. you mean there's a king born? Did Herod have a son we didn't know about? No, he didn't have a son we know. I mean, what's going on? So there's this great thing that's going on. There's this great confusion that says that they ask, where's he at? We want to worship him. What do they do? They follow the star. We know who they are. They're pagans who are wise men, who were least exposed to the idea of a Messiah that was going to come for the entire world. We know that. But what did they do? They followed the star, right? 
Now, when you talk about following the star, there's some people that are like, well, well, how do they know to follow the star? And listen, this is, this is what historians believe, but we can find some truth in Scripture here. We can see how this fits in Scripture. A lot of historians believe that wise men, what they would do, because they were, they were into astronomy, they would go out and they would watch the stars. And when a new star appeared, they believed that, that meant a new king for that nation had been born. Now, there's some debate. There's some that believe that, that each known nation of that, of that time frame basically had their own constellation. If a new star appeared, they went and they followed. They said the new king had been born there. I mean, there's a lot of different things going on. But what we do know is that they follow the star. It says, and the, they said that we've come and we saw his star when it rose. In other words, we were looking at the stars, regardless of you know, what the historians say is true. Here's what we do know. These wise men were checking out the stars. And a new star rose, a star that had not been there. And there was something in their background. There was something in their faith that said, when a star rises, we must do what? We must go. And so they went. And so they followed this star. Now, here's why that's important for us. You ready? Here's what I love about that part of the story. These guys were pagans. These guys practiced astronomy. But God met them right where they were at, didn't he? He met them right where they were at. I love how God used a false thing they were studying to take it and lead those people straight to Jesus. And I want you to know this morning, it doesn't matter where you're at. God will take out every stop and use every measure necessary to get you to the place where you get to come and see and experience who Jesus is. And God met them right where they were at. And what did they do? They follow the star. Now, let's look what happens the rest of the story. Look at verse 3. Once they follow the star, once they arrive, and they ask this question, it says this. When Herod the king heard this, he was what? Troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him. And they assembled the chief priests and the scribes of the people. He inquired to them where this Christ would be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophets. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah... And by no means are least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Listen to this. Then Haran summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring word to me that I may too go and worship him. And after listening to the king... They went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen, when it rose, went before them, until they came the rest of the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and they went into the house. Now think about this. Just think about this. Here are these pagans who are wise men who've been exposed that there's a Messiah that the nation of Israel believes is coming to save the entire world. They believe that. They, they, are, they, they are exposed to that. And these guys see this star that has not been there before rise up. And for whatever their background is, they felt compelled, nudged, led by the Holy Spirit. I'm not really sure, but they followed that star. That's what we do know. They follow the star. And if it's a star leading over Israel, where would you typically go? You would go to the capital, wouldn't you? You would go to the place where the king resides, wouldn't you? So they show up in Jerusalem, and they're asking a valid question. Hey, we've seen this star. There's a new king been born. We want to celebrate this new king with you and celebrate as a, as a whole big city. And everybody's like, uh-oh, no king. No, there's been no births. And they're all up in arms. 
And then King Herod comes along and says, listen, guys, go find this baby out there. Let me know, and I too will come worship this baby. Now, we know if you keep reading in the Matthew's gospel, we know that he had an agenda. The agenda was he wanted to what? Kill the baby, right? We know later that he issued a decree that all the boys under the age of two were to be slaughtered. Why? Because he wanted to make sure this new king of the Jews had been born didn't make it past <coughs> two years of age, that he would be slaughtered. And these wise men listened to what King Herod is saying, and they listened to the lies that he was telling them, but nothing, nothing deterred them from the mission. These guys, because the story they were familiar with, because the journey they were on, were not willing to stop or slow down. They had to do all they could to get to Jesus. Nothing would stop them. Even a king that wanted to kill, even a king that wanted to, to manipulate them, nothing would stop them. They kept pursuing King Jesus. Think about it for a moment. How many of us talk about wanting to grow in our faith and our walk and pursuing a deeper intimate relationship with Christ, but we, we let obstacles deter us all the time, don't we? Can I tell you the number one obstacle I hear all the time, and I probably say too much? I'm just so what? Come on, I'm so what? Busy. I'm so busy. I just don't have time. Is that a deterrent to the growth in our faith? Come on, is that a deterrent? Yeah, because we know, we know what we do, right? We know that we try to fit God into our day instead of trying to fit day, our day around God, right? And so the wise men, I mean, the same story here. I mean, they didn't let anything deter them. And listen to what happened. When they got there, look what happened. In verse, let's go back to verse 10. Look what happened when they got there. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child, and they fell down and what? worshipped him. To fall down was a picture of surrender to royalty. Like when kings would enter the room, people would kneel. <coughs> they fell down and they worshipped him. That word worship here in the Greek means they adored him or they rejoiced over God's goodness to provide him. These wise men, listen, these wise men who were pagans, understood enough to know that when they encountered King Jesus, they fell down, they surrendered, and they worshiped. They adored him. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I come on Sunday morning, I don't feel like worshiping. Anybody else kind of like that? Okay, so only one honest person says, yeah. Anybody else feel like that sometimes? And you kind of come in the room and like maybe, you're, maybe you had to fight with your kids and when you got out, your last thing you said, you're going to smile when we go in that church or I'm going to beat you when we get out. I mean, I don't know what you do. I mean, we know there's tension when we come in sometimes. Sometimes we don't feel it. But listen, is he still worthy of our worship? Is he the King of kings and the Lord of lords who we should fall down every day all the time and surrender and worship, adore, and rejoice of God's goodness in our life? Should we do that? Yeah. Yes. That's what the wise men did. And then one more question I want to ask you. Who were they? What did they do? Here's the most important. What did they offer? Now, I want to say something before I get into what they offer, because you kind of already know it. I'm not sure they fully grasped what they were offering. See, it was in that culture, it was common for new kings to be offered gifts. We don't know if the Magi gave every king the same gifts. I did a ton of research, and nothing will point us toward that. So we don't know if it was the same gift or different gifts, but it was, an, it was always gift-giving to the new baby king was always something that happened. But these gifts that were given tell us something 
about who Jesus is. And first of all, they gave him the gift of gold. Now, we know gold is the most precious metal that there is, right? And gold is the most highly pursued treasure that there is. Like if I had bars of gold up here, how many of you would love to have those? Okay, only JD, right? All, all of us, right? In fact, you might knock somebody down to get up here to get a bar of gold. But do you know who gold was given to back then? Royalty. Royalty. And you only gave gold to royalty. And when you gave the gold to royalty, here's what you were saying. You have the authority to rule and the power to reign. That's what royalty is. Royalty reigned and ruled over people. So when these wise men gave Jesus gold, what they were saying is, now you are king, but you are the one who's going to reign and rule over all humanity. I'm not sure they got all that, but we get that, don't we? They acknowledge that you are King Jesus. You're the one who's going to reign and rule over all things. And then they gave him frankincense. Frankincense is like a resin, and it's only used in certain situations. It typically was used in the temple. They would take it, and they would, the priest, only the priest, would burn this resin, and it would create a smoke and create an incense, incense up toward God. Like for some of you, you have candles in your house, and you light them, and it creates a smell. Can I give you words of wisdom? Make sure the candles all smells match. That's kind of an important thing to do, right? Because when they're competing smells, that kind of grosses everybody out, okay? Just want you to know that. And so you kind of understand what incense is like, right? You understand when you burn something and it creates this aroma. That's what frankincense did. But here's the key. We want to talk about this. Only the priest could burn the frankincense. Why? Because in the Old Testament, it was viewed, here's God, here's humanity, who's our mediators? Who's the one that's our connection to a holy God? It all funneled through who? The sacrifices which the priest did, right? So when these wise men give frankincense to Jesus, what are they saying? You are our only connection to our heavenly father. You are our high priest. Yes, you're going to be sacrificed, and the aroma of your sacrifice is going to be pleasing to God. But what they're saying is, yes, you are our high priest. You are. I mean, there's God the Father, there's humanity, and you are the bridge. You are the mediator between us and him. And then they gave him what? What's the third gift they gave him? Myrrh. Myrrh, too, was a resin. But here's the interesting thing about it. If you mixed it with wine, it was an antiseptic. But if you mixed it with aloes... It was for embalming. And so when they gave Jesus the gold, we know what that means. The frankincense, we know what it means. But when they gave him myrrh, what were they saying? He's going to die, right? Now, I don't know because we don't have any historical documents to tell us, and the Bible doesn't elaborate on it. We don't know if this was a gift they gave every new king. But here's what I do know. In those three gifts, while they are fascinating gifts, what I love most about these three gifts, it tells us the gospel story even at his birth. It tells us that a king who stepped out of heaven and he became one of us. It tells us this king is the only connection and the only way to a relationship with our heavenly father. And the only way that relationship is going to come is through his death on a cross. Do you see that in the gifts now? Can you see that this gold was his king and this frankincense is that he is our high priest and this myrrh means that he is going to die so that he can connect us to our heavenly father. See, the beautiful things about this gifts are is they paint the ultimate picture 
of the salvation that we can have in Christ. And what I love about these gifts is even at his, shortly after his birth, even when he was in a house as a small child, as a young toddler, even at that point, these gifts that are given tell us the gospel story of King Jesus who died for our sins and is the only path to relationship with God. Isn't that pretty incredible? Come on, isn't that an incredible church? Even at his early years, these gifts tell us the story that we celebrate come Easter week. So who were these guys? Pagan wise men who were exposed to the story. What did they do? They followed the star. And when they found him, they fell down and they what? Worshipped. And what did they give him? The best that they had. Gold that said, you're a king. Frankincense that said, you are our high priest. And myrrh that says, we know that you're going to die. And just a thought just occurred to me. Imagine if you're Mary, right? Because it says that Mary was there, right? And they give you your son gold. Pretty pumped about that one, aren't you? Right? He's going to be king. Yeah. And then they give him frankincense, saying that he is our high priest. He is our connection to God. Oh, by the way, here's some myrrh, because he has to die. Can you imagine a mother's heart in that moment? I can't, but you know what? She probably understood. And that's why Luke tells us later that she pondered all these things in her heart, right? Well, because she thought deeply about all that had taken place. So this morning, as we close this up, I just want to share some things with you. First, I want to say that what I love about this story is how God took some searchers and he met them where they are. And maybe this morning you're searching. You've been looking for an answer to the peace that you're searching for. You've been looking for the hope you're searching for, the fulfillment you're searching for. And I'm just telling you, if you are a searcher this morning and you do not have a relationship with Christ, God will do whatever it takes to meet you where you are. You don't have to clean your life up. You don't have to change anything. You don't have to do anything on your end. All he wants you to do is just surrender. Because here's what I've learned over my long life. When God changes my heart, my behavior will follow. Right? And so don't worry about fixing your life up. Don't worry about, well, i got to stop that. No, 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 no. He's searching for you today. And he's willing to meet you right where you are, just like he did these wise men. But will you respond to him like they did? And then also, if you're a believer in the room, I want to challenge you with this. When I, when I look at the story, I am so impressed with the idea that these guys stopped and they celebrated and rejoiced in the goodness of God. Do you take moments, do you take time and really celebrate the goodness of God in your life? I'm not talking about going, that's right, I'm so thankful I've got breath in my lungs and a roof over my head. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about pausing, going, God, even when life stinks, you're good. God, even when life is hard, you're good. Do we take moments as believers like these magi, remind you, who are pagans, and do we rejoice over the goodness of God? And like these wise men, do we give God our best? Maybe this morning what you need to give God is your gold. I'm not talking about your dollars and cents. I'm talking about the most precious thing you have. You know what it is? Your devotion and your loyalty. Does God have that from you? Does God have your devotion and loyalty? 
Maybe you need to give him your frankincense. Maybe you need to give him your praise and your surrender in your life. Maybe you need to give him your myrrh this morning. Maybe you need to say, Lord, I'm going to do what you told me in Luke 9, 23. I'm going to die to self so that I can live for you. If you're a believer this morning, listen, I pray this is just not a rerun of a story. But we're reminded that we too are to celebrate the goodness of God in our lives. That we too are to offer him the best gifts we have. Give him your devotion. Give him your loyalty. Give him your praise. Give him your surrender. Deny yourself so that you can live for him. Say, Lord, here am I. Send me whatever it takes. What do you need to give him this morning? And however God is working in your heart, would you be faithful to respond to that? If you don't know him, would you surrender? And if you do know him, would you maybe make a new commitment to him? Maybe your devotion has wavered. Maybe your praise has been quieted. Maybe this idea of denying yourself is off your radar. Would you make a new commitment to him? Let's all stand together as we pray. Everybody stand with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's pray together. God, I love you. Man, I, I so love this story. God, it blows my mind to think about who these guys were. And God, we don't know why, but we know they follow that star. And we know that star wasn't there before, and it rose. And, and something in their background, something in their studies, something in their mode of operation led them to follow that star. And eventually it led them to King Jesus. And when they got there, they responded the only way anyone should ever respond. Through surrender and worship. And God, I thank you as I look at their gifts. It's more than just about the gold. It's about what it represents. It represents that Jesus is king. That he is the only way. He even said it, that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. The only way to get to the Father. And the God, the gift that reminded us to get us to you, to have a relationship with you required sacrifice. His death on a cross. So God, I pray from the very fibers of my being, Lord, I pray deep within me that for those that don't know you today, they would realize that you met those wise men where they were and you'll meet them where they are today. If they're in a place of disbelief, if they're in a place of struggle, if they're in a place of doubt, if they're in a place of frustration, if they're in a place of being uh, depressed, Lord, wherever they find themselves, for those that don't know you, you're willing to meet them right where they are because your ultimate mission is to introduce them to King Jesus. And God, I pray today they would surrender to you, but they would respond like the Magi, and take that journey. Take that journey of faith. Take that journey to say no to self and yes to Jesus. Yes, that he died on the cross. Yes, that he rose again. And yes, I surrender my life to him as my Lord and Savior. God, would they make that decision today? And God, then I pray for believers. Could we just take some time this morning, Lord, and rejoice over your goodness? God, could we take some time this morning and evaluate the level of our commitment when in regards to our devotion and loyalty to you? God, could we just take a moment this morning and pause and offer you our praise and our surrender? God, could we just pause for a moment today and make a new commitment to deny ourselves 
so that we can be a light for you. So God, however you need to move today, would you do that? God, would you wreck us this morning? Would you challenge us this morning? But may you blow us away this morning, Lord. May we leave here with an awe and a reverence for who you are and what you've done as we've seen in this story. So God, be with us. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. This morning, this altar will be open. I don't know how God's moved. If you want to come pray, please do so. If you need someone to pray for you, Pat and Willie are right over there. love to pray with you. And Jason and Kelly Belcher are right over there. They would love to pray with you. But however the Lord's moving in your heart, maybe you need to make that commitment as a believer. Would you do it today? Maybe you need to trust him as Savior. Would you do it today? If you need somebody to talk to, I'll be right here. Drew's right over there. We'd love to share with you. But let's not let today just be a rerun. Let's not let today familiarity breed contempt. Let's let the familiarity of the story change us from the inside out as we continue to worship.